All right. If you have a, a Bible, would you please turn with me to John chapter 4? If you don't have a Bible, there should be a red one nearby. Uh, and if you are using the red one, we're going to be looking at page 518, 518. Last week, we concluded our sermon series uh, on the parables that Jesus was teaching through the Gospel of Luke. And uh, in a couple weeks, we're going to start an Advent series leading up to Christmas. And so in between that sermon series and the next one, we're going to spend three weeks briefly looking at what I'm calling the pillars of Story Church. Uh, on our website, on the bulletin, even out in the lobby, you'll see these three uh, symbols, um, what we like to call the pillars of the church. And they're restful rooted, and real. You probably have seen them and have wondered, hey, what do we mean by that? So we're going to take the next three weeks to explain what do we mean by those words, restful, rooted, and real. And I call them pillars uh, because I think that uh, what we do as a church needs some foundation, uh, like a stool, a three-legged stool. You need all those legs for the stool to function uh, properly. I mean, you can maybe sit on a stool that has two legs, but it'll become unbalanced and you'll fall. You need all three legs to support the stool. And we at Story Church think that these three words and the, the, what they mean provide the foundation for what we are doing. So as we look at the Bible, as we go from page to page and hear what God has done through his son and what he has called his people, the church, to do, we, we've taken from all of that and said, we want to be a church, a community that is restful, rooted, and real. We think that the gospel offers rest. We think that the gospel compels us to be rooted. And we think that the gospel enables us to be real. And so we're going to take the next three weeks to look at each of those components and explain where they come from and what that means for us as a church. So this morning we're looking at rest Rest. We all need rest. I started the sermon or the service this morning talking about how tired and exhausted of a week it's been for many of us and reminding us that we need rest. Um, my wife and I live a little bit further away from our parents. And when we go home for holidays, sometimes it's three days, sometimes it's up to 10 days. It is a tiring experience. We love going and visiting family, but it's difficult to go to a new house, to sleep in a bed that's not your bed, to wrangle our kids around with other family members, and it is just exhausting. And by the time I get home from that, what I am longing for is deep rest. My, you know, my muscles are sore, my heart is tired, my mind is exhausted, and what I need is rest. Now, that's on a physical level, but I think all of us have experienced something like that on a spiritual level, that we have all felt at different times in our lives a desire for deep spiritual rest. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. Every one of us in this room, and not just that, every one of our neighbors in this area were made for rest. We were made to find rest, to be comfortable, to relax, to be in a secure relationship. We were actually designed to be in a relationship of rest with our creator, God. But we know that we're exhausted. We're tired. And so something has happened. We've, we've missed out on that rest. St. Augustine, one of the church fathers, says this famous passage. He says, our hearts were made for you, O Lord and they are restless until they find rest in you. And that's what we mean by rest, that deep soul desire 
for rest that we can only find in Jesus. So that's what we're looking at this morning in John chapter 4. And as we look at this passage on rest, we are going to ask three questions. Why do we need it? Where do we find it? And what do we do with it? So if you want to follow along in the back of the bulletin and follow notes, that's where we're going. Why, why do we need it? Where do we find it? And what do we do with it? All right, we're going to read John chapter 4, starting at verse 1. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, only his disciples did, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink for me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well and drank from it himself as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but Whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here and draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one that you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know, and we worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out of the town and were coming to him. And then let me just read verse 39. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony he told me all that I ever did. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we long for rest. We long for living water so that our souls may be 
quenched of the thirst that we are longing for, that we would find true rest in the living water that your son Jesus offers us. Through your spirit, give us that this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So first, why do we need rest? Well, there's a lot of reasons why we're tired. We're working more than ever in the history of the modern age. Uh, Some of us are workaholics and just desire to spend long hours at the office, and that makes us tired. You know, some of us uh, have busy schedules. We fill up our nights and our weekends with activities and events and sports, and that makes us tired. Some of us have bad diets, and we aren't getting the nutrients that we need, and so our bodies wear down and we get tired. Some of us don't exercise as much as we ought to, and we ought to find energy out of that, and we're tired because we don't. Some of us... Uh, When we are tired, we choose to find relaxation in awful things. Not that the things themselves are awful, but they, they don't give us rest. Like binging a TV show might seem restful, but have you ever sat in front of a TV for hours on end and then gotten up and said, well, now I'm rested? No. Who, who has ever laid down in bed and then scrolled through Facebook endlessly and then thought, well, now I'm rested? We don't know how to rest, but we're so tired. So why? Why do we need rest? It's because we are longing. We're, we're running around from event to event, experience after experience, position after position, identity after identity, longing for something, but we can't quite find it. We are tired and we are exhausted, not just physically, but deep down in our core, we are tired. We are restless we need rest. We're longing for something to satisfy us. I mean, we go from job to job. We move from place to place. We go from experience to experience thinking, if I only did that, if I only had this, if I only experienced that, then, and I'd be happy. I'd be fulfilled. I'd be satisfied. And it just doesn't work. We're exhausted. What is it that you're longing for? What is it that you're hunting after? What are you thirsty for? Well, let's look at what this woman was thirsty for. We pick up the story and Jesus is heading uh, in the Galilean region and he has to pass through Samaria. Now, most people don't go that way because Jews don't associate with Samaritans. We talked about that a few weeks ago. But Jesus said, no, I have to go here. I've got an appointment And so he goes to Jacob's well at noon. It's hot outside in the wilderness. The sun is beating down on them and Jesus is tired. And so he stops at the well. And while he's there, a woman from the town comes out. Now, women at this time would not be coming out in the middle of the day. They'd come in the morning or in the evening when it was cool. And so something's different about this woman. Why is she coming out to the well in the middle of the day? Well, she's trying to hide. She's trying to get herself away from others seeing her. She knows that she isn't wanted or desired in the community. We'll get to why that is in a minute. And then they have this conversation, Jesus and this woman. And he says, hey, would you give me a drink? And they have this conversation about why Jews and Samaritans don't uh, interact. And, uh, but he says, hey, if you only knew who I was, then you would not give me water. You would ask me for water, living water. And living water that will make you never thirst again. And she does not get it. 
She says, hey, man, where is your bucket? The well is deep. You won't be able to go down and get it yourself. What are you talking about? He says, oh, this isn't, this isn't real water. This is living water. It'll satisfy your soul. Everything you've ever longed for, I can give you. And she doesn't get it. She says, give me that water. Then I'll never have to come back out here in the middle of the day. I'll never have to get sunburned. I'll never have to be ashamed of what I've done. If you could just give me the water, I'd never have to come back out here. He says, oh, you don't get it. And so he says, I'll, I'll get you to understand what I'm talking about. He says, bring out your husband. He knows what's going on. She says, oh, I don't have a husband. He says, I know. You've had five husbands, and the man that you're currently sleeping with and living with, he is not your husband. Now, we don't know if these men died or he divorced or whatever, but what we do know is this woman has gone from person after person after person looking for something. What she's longing for, what she's desiring, what her heart has been thirsty for is companionship. You know, in, in those days, a marriage wasn't just, you know, affections and commitment to one another. It was protection. There was some social standing and social security involved in having a companion who is with you. She was longing for the, not just the emotional, but the physical and the social companionship that comes with being with someone. And what's fascinating here is Jesus when he looks at this woman, he could say, I know you're sleeping with someone you shouldn't be sleeping with. But what he's trying to do is saying, hey, I see your sin, but I know that there's this sin underneath that sin. And that sin underneath that sin is what's really affecting your heart. What's really making you tired is not that you're going from man to man, but that you are looking for companionship and you'll never find what your heart is desiring by doing this. The beautiful thing about Jesus is when he confronts us with our sin, he says, hey, I see what you're doing, but I see underneath it. And I see what your heart is longing for. This woman was longing for companionship because she thought through companionship, her life would be better. All of us are looking for something. We're searching for something. We're working hard for something. And Whatever it is, we're looking for it because we think that if we had that, our lives would be better. What we are searching for is this vision of a good life. This vision of how things ought to be. If I had my way, if I could just orchestrate my life and my life could just be perfect. If I only had this, if I could only do that, then I would have the life I've always dreamed about. What is it for you that you are longing for, and you say to yourself, if I only had this, then everything would be better. And we just wrapped up this election season, and most of the candidates are going on TV, we're going on TV saying, hey, if you vote for me, if I am your president, then this is how your life will be, this is how our country will be, your life, this country will be great again. And that's make America great again, that's what he was saying. And then Joe Biden was saying, hey, no, what, what you need is hope. What you need is change. What you need is a different direction. Because if you vote for change, then you'll get it. We long, we are longing for something, this vision of a good life. And until we get it, our hearts are restless. That's why we need rest is because we're longing for something. Nothing quite satisfies us. 
On Netflix, there's this documentary about Taylor Swift. And before you say anything, yes, in eight weeks at Story Church, I've used two Taylor Swift illustrations. So there's more where that comes from. Uh, in that documentary, which is a great documentary, uh, it shares the, you know, the, the beginnings and the, the start of Taylor's career. At age 16, she produced her first album and had a single that went to the top of the country music charts. It was incredible. I mean, she was so successful. And she was riding that wave and was saying, this is the one thing that if I, if I can write my life stories into songs and play them for the world, the world will be a better place if I can do this. That was her dream. Her vision was to be this pop star, this country music star, and she could bless the world. And she, I mean, she, she got what she was wanting. She became so popular and so big. And, you know, and then that in 2000, whenever it was, when the Kanye West went up to the stage and sort of ruined her acceptance speech, she said, after that, she said, does anyone want me anymore? She, she really felt like this was this uh, reckoning where she was realizing, is this what the world wants from me? And she devoted herself to climbing back up. And then she released 1989, that album, which was incredible. She says after, during the tour, she says, this is the happiest I've ever been in my life right now. I, I've reached it. I've, I've done everything I've ever wanted to do. I am the happiest I've ever been. And that album won the best album of the year. And in the documentary, she says, when I went home that night after getting that award, I said, is this it? I, I've reached the top, but it wasn't enough. Is there more? This wasn't enough for me. What Taylor is expressing, what this woman is expressing, what we all feel is that even when we get the thing that we think will make our lives better, we find out that it doesn't satisfy us. Our hearts are still restless. Our thirsts are still there. And that leads me to my second point. That's why we need rest. Now, where do we find it? We all need it. Where do we find it? Jesus says simply this. I have it and I'll give it to you. Just come. Come to me. And I know that sounds simple. It's the Sunday school answer. Where do we find rest? We find it in Jesus. Now, before you say, you know, if I find Jesus, if I come to Jesus, then everything's going to be fine. You know, Jesus actually doesn't say, hey, if you drink of this living water, you'll never need it again. He says, if you drink of this living water, you'll never be thirsty again. It's not like when we come to Jesus, all our problems go away. It's not like when we come to Jesus, everything sort of writes itself out. No, but when we come to Jesus, he promises to always be with us and says, this living water will become a well, a spring of living water within your own soul. And you can come and find it again and again and again and again. Jesus says, come to me, find rest whenever you need it. Because we desperately need it. Jesus says, come and take this living water and you'll never be thirsty again because I will always be with you. And I, I know that sounds simple and it is, but simple things can be hard. I'm not saying it's easy to come to Jesus and find rest. I'm saying it's simple. 
you know, this last week we moved out of our house and moving is simple. You just box everything you have, move it to a new house and then unload it. There's three steps. Box everything up, move and unload. It's really simple, but it's not easy. There are simple things in life that are difficult and coming to Jesus, although it is simple, it's going to require something of us. Not to not require something of us to come to Jesus, but when we come to him, there are some things that he asks of us. He says, if you want to come to me, you have to know who I am. You have to know what I've done for you. You have to trust in me. And although that's simple, it's not easy. And here's exactly in this passage what Jesus is saying. When you come to me, there's, there's three things that this woman recognizes about who Jesus is and what he's done and what Jesus responds to her that we need to hear this morning at Story Church. Yes, we can come to Jesus and find rest, but when we come to Jesus, there's some things that we need to know about him. In this passage, Jesus says, reveals about himself in his conversation with this woman about who he is and what he's done for us. He shows us that he is a prophet, a king, and a priest. And I know those are biblical words. Let me break them out for you. He says that he's a prophet. This woman uh, is talking about her husbands, and Jesus reveals what he knows about her. And she says, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. You know what I've done. You know who I am. I can't keep anything hidden from you. That's what a prophet did. God gave him wisdom. God, God would give prophets knowledge and wisdom about things that were going on and would call them to speak truth, speak light into the darkness. This woman says, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. You know everything about me. And Jesus says, yeah, I do. When we come to Jesus to find rest in him, we come to him as a prophet who knows everything about us. The only way to find rest coming to Jesus as the prophet is not to come with him tight-fisted and say, hey, I'm going to keep these things secret from you. No, the way we come to Jesus and find rest is saying, Lord, I know that you know everything about me. I'm, I, I need to be an open book with you. I need your light to shine into my darkness. I need you to remind me who I am before you. It can be really intimidating to come to someone who knows everything about you. I mean, I think marriages are difficult because now all of a sudden you're with someone all the time who is increasingly knowing everything about who you are, what you do, how you think, how you behave. And that can be intimidating and scary that now there's someone who knows more about you than ever before. That can be intimidating. It can be really scary to come to someone who knows something about you that you've wanted to keep secret and hidden. But that's not how we approach Jesus, right? Jesus doesn't say, hey, if you come to me, I'm going to be freaked out by what you have to say. No, he says, hey, I know everything you've ever done. And I say, come anyway. Come and find rest. So Jesus invites us to find rest in him because he knows everything about us and still says, come, find rest. But he's not just a prophet. He's also a king. This woman says after this conversation, sir, I know that the Messiah, the Christ, is supposed to come. And when he comes, he'll, he'll tell us everything that we need to know. 
That word Messiah, that word Christ, those are the, the Hebrew and Greek words for the anointed one, the king. This was the person who God had promised in the Old Testament to come and restore the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Israel. This was going to be the son of David who would ascend to the throne and be victorious over their enemies. This was going to be the one who, who exercised law and order and had compassion and justice. He was the one that everyone was longing for. He was going to wipe out the Romans. He was going to set the temple free from occupation. He was going to restore and redeem God's people. And Jesus says, I am he. But Jesus didn't come riding into Jerusalem on a horse with an army. He came riding in on a donkey. And he ended his time in Jerusalem on a cross, dying at the hands of both the Jewish leaders and the Roman leaders. Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Christ. He is the king. But his kingdom and his rule will not be like what we think he doesn't call us to take up arms against our enemies. He calls us to love our enemies. He doesn't call us to make up much of ourselves. He says, no, think little of yourself and think more of one another. The kingdom that Jesus, the king, is establishing is one of gentleness and kindness and truth. This kingdom that Jesus is creating it's for us. We can find rest in his kingdom. But when we come into the kingdom of the great king, man, we better recognize we're not in charge anymore. We can only find rest coming to Jesus the king when we say, Lord, you're the one in control, not me. That means I'm going to obey you. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to uh, learn from you as my example and my king, and I'm going to embody what you've embodied. We can't be the kings of our kingdom. We need to trust in Jesus the king. And only when we give up the throne and recognize Jesus is on the throne, only then can we find rest when we come to him as king. But he's not just prophet. He's not just king. He is a priest. And I think this is the most important for us this morning. Now you say, where is, where is he talking about being a priest here? Well, they begin to talk about worship. Who can worship where? at this mountain or that mountain, in Jerusalem or here in Samaria. What they're talking about is this. In the, in the Old Testament, God had told his people, hey, go and establish a temple in Jerusalem. And in that temple, you will come and you will worship God. Now, worship in, in those days looked a little bit different than what we do on Sunday morning here. Worship in those days uh, meant that you'd come with a, a sacrifice, an animal, a goat or a lamb or a bird or even grain. And you'd go to the priest and say, here is my sacrifice. And the priest would take that offering and sacrifice it in the front of the temple. And, and he, the priest would act as this mediator. He would take your sacrifice and say, God, these people have come because they are sinners and they are offering this sacrifice to cover them, to cleanse them, to purify them before you. Accept this sacrifice. That's what a priest did. That's what the people did. That's what worship was. And this would happen all the time. All day long, every day, day after day. Because guess what? People are sinners 
And every day we need to come with this plea of, God, would you forgive us? And in those days, they would come daily with sacrifices to the temple and the priests. Daily, all day long, day after day, never get in a break. Would take that sacrifice and offer it again and again and again. But Jesus says there is an hour coming when you will not have to worship on that mountain or this mountain, in that temple or this temple. Why? Was Jesus predicting, like others have said, that in 60 AD, Rome was going to destroy the temple, and so there's an hour coming when there won't be a temple? No, that's not what he's saying. And he's not saying this. There will be a day when it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile or Samaritan. Everyone's just going to worship how they want to worship. He's not saying that either. He is saying that there is coming a day when you will no longer need to go to the temple to offer your sacrifice because that way of doing things will be finished. How? Because Jesus is our priest. Jesus is the one that says, let me stand in between you and God. Let me offer a sacrifice on your behalf that will cleanse you forever and ever. Let me be that perfect sacrifice that is accepted on your behalf so that your sins will be washed clean. Jesus says there's an hour coming when you will no longer have to work and tire yourself out to come before God. One day you will have rest because the work will be finished. In Hebrews chapter 10, the author says that after he made a perfect sacrifice, that's Jesus, he sat down. Priests stood all day long, every day, all day long, because there was always a sacrifice to be made. But Hebrews says Jesus made one perfect single sacrifice that has done the work and he sat down. Because Jesus could rest from his work, we can come and find rest in him as our priest. Coming to Jesus is simple, but it's not easy. We have to know he is our prophet and knows everything about us and we need to come to him as an open book. It is simple, but it's not easy. We come to him as a king where we have to take ourselves off the throne and say, Lord, I want to follow and obey you. You are my king. It is simple, but it is not easy because we come to a priest who says, trust in my sacrifice for you. Look, we are so tired in our souls because we try daily to offer ourselves and our accomplishments before a God saying, is this acceptable? Is this enough? But Jesus says, trust in what I've done for you. So that's where we find rest. Go to Jesus. Now, what do we do with it? Real quick, when the woman heard this, what did she do? She went back home. She went to the town. She told her neighbors and her friends. She invited them and said, come and see this man. And she shared her testimony. That's what verse 39 says. So what do we do with the rest that we found in Jesus? Three simple things. We go to the city, we invite people to come, and we share our testimony. We, we, we go to our neighbor's houses. We get to know them and build a relationship with them. We get to know the names of our baristas or the checkout clerk. We get to know the name of our mailmen and women. 
Go to the town, build relationships with them, but do not stop there. Invite them. Say, come with me and meet Jesus for yourself. Come to to church. Come to have coffee with me. Come and experience what your heart has been longing for. And then have the freedom to share your own testimony. Say, I've met him and he knew everything I've ever done and that might scare you, but he offered me living water. He offered me rest for my souls. Share your testimony, your own experience of coming to know Jesus. Friends, we need rest. We're tired. And we can find rest when we come to Jesus and Trust in everything he is and has done for us. But when we've taken that rest, when we've experienced it, don't bottle it up. Go back to the town. Invite them to come with you and share your testimony. Here at Story Church, we want to be a community that's restful. Look, we we got the leather leather seats, and that's helpful. Uh, but we, we want to make everyone's experience here great. We've got, you know, we, we want to have coffee. We want to have a great kids ministry for families. We, we want to have engaging music and, and sermons. We want to be a community that's restful for people for when they come in, that they're comfortable. But if we only stop there, we're not doing what I think the gospel offers us and our neighbors. We want to be a community that knows deep in our heart how much we need God's rest, who daily and regularly go to the source of living water and find what our souls desperately need, and then turn around and say, come with me. This isn't just for me. This is for you too. Come and meet Jesus. He can provide that thing that your souls are longing for. St. Augustine said, we were made for you, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. That's who we want to be as a church, a church that points people to the rest we desperately need. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we were made for you, and yet we are exhausted searching for that significance, that meaning, that purpose, that good life in things of this world, Lord. But Lord, if the things of this world cannot satisfy us, it means we were made for something more. We were made for you. We thank you that you sent yourself through your son to us so that we could come to him and find in him the rest that we need. Lord, we thank you that he is our prophet, our king, and our priest who has finished the work on our behalf. Lord, that we can come to him and trust in his sacrifice so that we no longer have to work to be accepted by you. Lord, give us your spirit that we would come again and again to your living water and that we would invite those around us and say, come, come and meet the one who knows everything we need. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.